And then we go to the gospel reading today. And with the first Sunday in Lent, the traditional lectionary readings are taken from the temptation account in one of the gospels. And this year we're in Matthew. And so we're at chapter 4 at verse 1. And uh, recently, uh, we were in the Sermon on the Mount, which we finished chapter 5 last week. Ahead of that, uh, we, were, uh, we saw Jesus preaching, and that follows this in Matthew chapter 4. And before that, before the reading here, we have the baptism of Christ. So we go from the baptism of Christ to the start now. Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot again against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Let's follow the reading from God's holy word. I invite you to turn back into scripture in your Bibles to Matthew 4, verse 1. If you'd like to have the text before you, and if you would like, there's an outline provided to follow the flow of the sermon. Even fill it out if you feel ambitious, and we'll have prayer. Lord God, we are thrilled with the thought that you're our mighty fortress, that Jesus is the Lord of the heavenly armies that you have willed to triumph through us as we look to Christ. We just ask that we could know him now, we could understand his person and work, we would follow him. We pray that the preaching would be faithful. We ask, Lord, that you would change our hearts. We pray that you would be our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Title of the sermon today is Lead Us Not Into Temptation, But Deliver Us From the Evil One. We read here in Matthew chapter 4 that following his baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert or the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What is temptation? I asked uh, at camp one year, a group of fifth and sixth graders, to define temptation for me. And a little girl stood up, real skinny little girl, and she said, temptation is when you're tempted to eat too much. A pastor's son, fifth grade, stood up 
And he said, temptation is when you're tempted to smoke. It might be a temptation for some people, but for that group, uh, the temptation would be when I want to smack my brother. That's temptation. I asked in a mixed Bible study at one point if the men and women there could think of a temptation, if everybody could please think of a temptation. And as I looked at the group, I saw a lady's face change, and I called on her, and I said, it looks like you were, you thought of a temptation. And she said, yes, I did, but I'm not going to share it with you. Temptations are like that. I don't want to tell you mine. You don't want to tell me yours. Because unlike Jesus, uh, our temptations are really focus on our sinful nature. In fact, what tempts me might not tempt you at all. We have different temptations, different stages in life. But here the word means to test. And you can fall into temptation as Adam and Eve did, our first parents, and the Bible claims that they were historic figures. People want to dismiss that today, but it's not what the Bible says. And from what I see of sin in people's lives, in my own life, I, I believe the, the, the story in Genesis 3 is factual. Our first parents fell into temptation while they were in a garden paradise. And when Eve reported to God, and with God you don't, you're not allowed to tell any lies, but later in Genesis 3, when God addressed the first sinners, they were hiding in the bushes, trying to get away from them because they were uncomfortable with his presence. He asked, what happened? And Adam, of course, blamed his wife. And Eve said, the devil deceived me, and I ate. So Eve was deceived. And the New Testament also makes his point. We have people today that try to see, deceive others. I think of a recent um, scam that was directed to uh, the senior citizens, the loving grandmas that would get the phone call and find out that their grandson was in a prison in Canada and they needed to have some money wired to them, but please don't tell. He doesn't want his parents to know. Please send the money, and here's where you can wire the money. And so grandma takes off. To do that, I heard of one grandma. Did, called her grandson, didn't hear from him, and got to the parking lot, was about to wire the money, and got the call from the grandson. What'd you want, grandma? found out the whole thing was a deception. She was so angry. Almost lost $1,000. Maybe you've been deceived at some point. Eve was deceived. And have you ever heard the phrase, the oldest trick in the book? You know what the oldest trick in the book is? Right here in Genesis 3. There were no tricks ahead of this. But this is where Satan came to deceive. And what did he, what did he, what did he tell Eve uh, as we, we read, um, as he questioned her, did, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, 
But God did say you must not eat fruit from the trees in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what the oldest trick is in the book? To make someone doubt God's word. That's what the devil did right here. That's his trick to make you doubt God's word. Did God really say? No, that'll, that'll never happen. You will not surely die. You will be like God. An outright contradiction. And so Eve was challenged here to be the one who decided. And it looked good to her. She saw something beautiful. And she ate. And she did learn good and evil because she sinned and she knew evil, shall we say, experientially. You know, from the inside in a real awful way. But it was not like God but she put herself in the place of God. She, she decided that God's word could be set aside. And she went for an outright contradiction. R.C. Sproul said the point of attack was that the trustworthiness, the authority, and the truth. And so that's, that's where we're at today in the church, in the world today. And people are confused about so many things, and, and there are no end to problems after you're given in to temptation. With Adam and Eve, there was a frustration, and already they were having marital problems, uh, pain in childbirth, thorns, and all those problems that you have with your work, and finally death. And, and so there were no end to problems. In our, own, in our own culture, there's a confusion over what's right and what's wrong because people hear the word of God and they say, no, no, it's not like that. But the devil's deceiving people, doing a great job of it today. Our Lord withstood three temptations while he is in the wilderness of Judea. Now, you remember the wilderness, that's where Moses led the people, they were wandering, there was no food there. And God fed them every day with manna from heaven. And here's Jesus. And he came to that place to be the second Adam, Romans 5 tells us, whose obedience going to the cross brought eternal life. And he was tested at this point to see, was he going to be that perfect sacrifice in this very, very severe trial? that he underwent. And the first temptation was a food temptation. You remember Adam and Eve in paradise, they couldn't eat of a certain tr fruit. Well, here's Jesus, he's extremely hungry. He's in the wilderness, there's no paradise. He's had no food for 40 days and 40 nights and, and he's extremely hungry. And he's right where he should be. Because as we read about the baptism of Christ in the chapter before, we read just following his baptism that he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's where God wanted him. God wanted him to go through this trial as one who is, 
had two natures, the God nature and the man nature, the human nature, the one who was born man. It was God's purpose that he be there to be tested. That's what one of the uses of the verb tempt can also mean, to test. And so he underwent this trial, this testing. And the tactic, again, was an attempt to have him doubt God's word. Because if you read just ahead of this in, Gen- uh, in Matthew chapter 3, at the baptism, when Jesus was baptized, you remember that the Spirit came down from heaven. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So God said, This is my Son. But why is the Son of God experiencing such a trial? Why is he without the basics for 40 days and 40 nights? And so Satan comes to him with that tactic to have him doubt God's word, to have him doubt his sonship. The temptation was to turn the stones into bread. That stone over there, it looks a lot like a loaf of bread. It looks like the bread your mother used to make. Your God, turn, you have the God nature, turn, turn that stone into bread. And Jesus, the second Adam, resisted Satan's deceit here by relying on the word of God for his decision. He said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you notice your bulletin cover today? Uh, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he relied on the word of God. Now, he did not have a Bible with him. And when, in his time of ministry, you'd go to the synagogue and they'd take down these big scrolls and they'd open them up in the synagogue for worship to read and in teaching children and so forth. And what we see here is that he has memorized the word of God for his decision. He is taking these lessons from Deuteronomy because God said, I fed you manna from heaven, he tells the Old Testament people, so that you would learn this, that you don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And you see that his answer to the evil one shows a high view of the scriptures, which are necessary for life. If we're going to live the Christian life, we're going to have to have a high view of the Bible as the word of God, just like Jesus did. The second temptation was for Jesus to make a spectacle of himself to gain followers. And this might be a little harder temptation for us to understand. The devil took him to the holy city, in other words, Jerusalem, where all the people would be worshiping there. He had him stand on the highest point of the temple, and he said, okay, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, Jesus is taken to the highest point of the temple in the city of Jerusalem, and this would not appeal to me as a temptation because I, when I'm up high, I want to draw back from the ledge. I, I don't want to 
you know, endanger my life. But for Jesus, this would have been a temptation because he could have made a spectacle of himself. People would have flocked to him and recognized him for being this, this person, but it would have been his downfall spiritually as well. The devil quotes a psalm, Psalm 91, and a promise to, to, to God's son. And so again, the tactic, if you're the son of God, and so he questioned his sonship. And, and it really was a temptation. It wouldn't be a temptation for me. It wouldn't be a temptation for you, but it was a temptation for Jesus to gather followers, to not have to go through th this excruciating ministry where people would at various times run him out of town and turn their backs on him and threaten to stone him and finally take him to the cross. We have this temptation also involving misinterpreting scripture. He, the devil quoted scripture here and then gave the wrong interpretation of it. In so doing, he was pitting one scripture against another. We have people doing that today. We have people say, well, God, if God's a God of love, then this other business doesn't stand. If God's a God of love, then no, that doesn't matter over here. But we can't do that. And Jesus didn't allow it here. He rejected the temptation of making a spectacle of himself by relying on God's word. And the lesson he chose again from Deuteronomy, do not put the Lord your God to the test. We have to follow God's plan for our lives. Can't choose something else. And the people of Israel at times, they wanted something else. Jesus said, we can't put the Lord our God to the test. And so there was a third and final temptation. When the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He had this fantastic vantage point where he could see all the splendor of all the kingdoms. All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. So we have this third temptation for Jesus to receive all the kingdoms by bowing down to Satan. We have a change of tactic, this time not to bring up the, that he's the son of God, but to go to Psalm 2 where God promised his son that he, would, he will receive, he would receive the kingdoms of the world. They would be his inheritance. That his mission was to be the king of kings and lord of lords. And the temptation was to receive those kingdoms without suffering on the cross. And the response is, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Again, the scriptures, going back to Deuteronomy, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus again relied on scripture to worship and serve God alone. We find him totally exhausted at the end of this great trial, so much so that when the devil left him, the angels came and attended him to save his life. Jesus, our great high priest, withstood every temptation, and he can help us. Hebrews 4 tells us this. We go to him as our faithful high priest. 
The one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. But different from us, he was without sin. And he could offer that sacrifice. We pray the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. And the most accurate translation of the Greek there would be, deliver us from the evil one. Question 127 in the Heidelberg Catechism says, what does the sixth petition mean in the, in the Lord's Prayer? And the answer, and do not bring us to the time of trial. I, I don't want to be going through that test. The Bible says that at some point we're all going to go through a major test. But the answer, and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one means by ourselves we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit so we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win complete victory. This picture of the devil is one of a person of great power. He's been studying your family for generations. He's been studying you for years. He knows how to push your buttons. You can't get into the boxing ring with him and even hope to, pre to prevail on your own because that would be like getting in the ring with Muhammad Ali. It would be a disaster. The picture of the devil in 1 Peter 5 is that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, prowling around like a predator looking over a flock, seeing which, which critter is weak and which critter is distant from the rest, go for that one. That's what the devil does. Mark chapter 14, Jesus says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and we're weak in our sinful nature. The devil is going to oppose the kingdom of God. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us that as Peter talks about the writings of Paul, he tells us that Paul is a very learned man. And he says that ignorant and unstable people distort Paul's writings as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So we have this distortion going on, taking place. Our Lord in the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7 of 15, tells us that there'll be false teachers that'll come. They'll be like wolves in sheep's clothing. We have to be on the lookout. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, as the writer Paul talks to Timothy, Pastor Timothy, about people that forbid marriage and have other, other um, ideas, he refers to the doctrine of demons. Think about what stands opposed to God. What's, where's the other message come from? The other doctrines that people accept. The doctrines, Paul said, of demons. I have a question today whether two men ought to get married or two women should marry. Some people say that the Bible isn't reliable. Some people say that the Bible doesn't speak to it. But if you're going to say what, see what the Bible has to say, you'd be dealing with at least four or five explicit scriptures in the New Testament and not counting those in the Mosaic Law. 
Some people dismiss those like, well, who do you think wrote that? Uh, it was, yeah, Moses inspired by God. It's God's word. You have to play off explicit scriptures against the idea that God is a God of love or some other sleight of hand and in order to come up with a teaching that the church has opposed for 2,000 years. Well, where did this come from? Well, not from scripture. You can be sure of that. And, and so we see the word of God. We, we have to look at it. We have to read it. We have to say, well, what does it say? We have our Bibles. Uh, we can read plain English translated from the Greek. We have Paul saying in, to the church at Corinth, you don't have to fall into temptation. You don't have to give into it because God will provide a way out. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Look to God. You don't have to give in. You don't have to follow it. Look, see what Jesus did. Therefore, my dear friends, Paul writes, flee from idolatry. Anything you would put in the place of God, instead of God, hear God. Look what, what, he, what he wrote to us. Um, he goes on to say in, in verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, referring to the Old Testament people under Moses. And one day, 23,000 of them died. That's another temptation for our time. And we have uh, in verse 9, we should not test the Lord, and Jesus didn't want to do this, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes that God sent in to punish. And in verse 10, and do not grumble. Have you ever been tempted to grumble? Have you ever been tempted to grumble? And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. You don't have to fall into temptation because God will provide a way out. And James says, Submit yourself to God, follow his teaching, and resist the devil, and he'll, he'll flee from you. He's, he's, he'll leave you. But there are these temptations, and there are temptations for preachers also, I have to tell you. There's a real temptation for preachers to water things down. There's a temptation for preachers to, to please people. And uh, Paul writes this to the church of Thessalonica about his ministry. As he spoke about people that were used, engaged in flattery, told people what they want to hear. He said, on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. And so for preachers, we must please God, be faithful to his word, rather than to seek to please men. Somehow or other, uh, when I was ordained, our presbytery chose that as a verse to put on my certificate. So it's a very meaningful verse to me, and um, it's a challenge as well. We look at what Jesus has done for us, his suffering, uh, his perfection and obedience, that he would go to the cross and there, because of his obedience, we would have forgiveness because so our sins could be put to his account because he's a, he's a sinless savior. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we need to praise him for that. We need to follow God's word. You know, we have it. We can read it. 
it really, we can't play with it. it. It's really plain before us. And realize that following the devil's teaching will bring destruction. And so pray that God will keep you strong in faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And we pray that we would not be tempted by the splendor of the world, that we not worship anything else, that we would not be tempted to live by bread alone, but we would seek to live by your word. We would not put you to the test, but we would seek what, whatever it is that you have as a plan for our lives, that we need to obey you in that. Thank you for your mercies and grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.